So welcome everyone to Subject to Interpretation. I am Agustin de la Mora, your host, and I am very, very happy today uh, to introduce to you one of my dearest friends and a very important member of our community of interpreters, Mr. James Plunkett. Mr. James Plunkett uh, and I have known each other uh, for many, many years. I'm not going to say how many, uh, but uh, we, I can say, grew up together as interpreters. Uh, and uh, Mr. Plunkett is now a director of uh, a court interpreter service uh, and language access service for one of our judiciaries in the country. And we are so happy and honored that he decided to accept our invitation. So how are you doing, James? Hi, Agustin. Thank you for having me here in your program. Well, it is, like I said, a pleasure and an honor. And I would like you to start telling us a little bit as to how did you end up an interpreter? Was this your plan when you were eight years old? No. As a matter of fact, I wanted to be a pharmaceutical engineer when I was eight years old. Don't ask me how I came up with that one. <laughs> yeah, it sounds difficult, even the pronunciation at eight years old, but okay. Oh, that's a mouthful. Yes, indeed. Well, it all started, I guess, with the first exposure to interpretation. And back in the 70s, my father brought me to an international meeting of the United Nations International Development Fund or organization. That was the first time I ever wore simultaneous interpreting equipment to listen to, to all the speakers through six channels with different languages I had never heard in my life except English, Spanish, and maybe French. And that's how, I guess that was a little seed that was planted in me. And as years went by, I never really thought about interpreting. And it came basically out of necessity and also an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It was kind of serendipity, wasn't it? In a way, it was. I wasn't really looking for it in particular. It found me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that many of us have had this, uh, this experience. So when did you actually start interpreting, let's call it professionally? Because I think many of us that are in this uh, field started interpreting without pay, I must say, for our families and friends probably when we were kids. So when did you become a professional interpreter? That happened in Tampa, Florida in, the, in mid-1994. I had applied as a contract interpreter with the 13th Judicial Circuit in Tampa. And they kind of filed away my resume. They said they really didn't need an, any other Spanish interpreters, so I just found another job doing something else. And then also they called you back or something? No, I actually had to say goodbye to the other job, I'll put it that way, because I wasn't uh -huh. really into sales. Uh -huh. And I called the courthouse again, and they say, sure, come, come over for an interview. And they, I had the interview with uh, the staff, and we had a nice conversation, and that was a, a door being opened for an opportunity to be trained with them to observe and then uh, get my feet wet eventually. And I became a contract interpreter with them. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly at that time uh, in 94, uh, I don't think we had uh, certification in the state of Florida or any kind of testing at the time. Do you remember? That's correct. There was no certification program back then. The um, consortium for the certification of court interpreters at the national level had just gotten started. Florida was not a member yet. I think they joined in 95. So the, the special operations uh, director there 
got wind of uh, an exam that could be borrowed from the state of New Jersey, and she brought it down to our courthouse system, and that's how a whole bunch of us were tested, especially because there were two uh, full-time positions open. I applied, of course, I passed the test, and then I was hired, and the rest was history. There you go, and then you got hired in 1994. A few years ago, you were probably a lad of 15 or something. <laughs> and yes. And, uh, and here we are many years later, still in the field. And are you still liking it? I love it. It's a passion. I, I view it. I, I feel it. I read about it. I talk about it. And, and it's a way also of, of spreading the word, if you will, about the significance of interpreting and how it helps other people deal with their life, life problems, if you will. Yes, I, I, I think that, you know, I feel that I'm just going strong. And even though I've been a lot around this business for uh, 30 years or so, and I sometimes I feel I'm just getting started. So I think we both say, share that passion. What, what do you think you have learned, something important that you would like to share from this, from being involved in this very interesting endeavor? You know, one never stops learning. That's one of the big lessons I've learned in this field. I've been doing it a little less than you, so give or take 22 years or so. Every day is a learning opportunity. I learn about myself. I learn from others. And it also, it teaches you to be humble because just when you think that you are at the top of your game, somebody else comes and teaches you a new lesson. And then you have to not like catch up or compete, but think about it and, and reflect, you know, that's something I could add to what I use, uh, to my toolbox, if you will. So you try to incorporate it and use it, and you get enriched by that experience, by learning from others. That's one, yeah. that's one of those things that I have learned. Yeah, I, th I think that I, I second that, uh, this idea that we are at the top, we have learned everything there is to learn, definitely does not apply to us interpreters. Never. Uh, even if we are dedicated to only one field, not to mention that some of us uh, kind of dabble in several fields like legal, medical, and maybe conference interpreting, which we might get into later on. But what do you think happens to people who want to, what is the misconception about people that say, oh, I want to be an interpreter? What do you think that they really don't get at the beginning? They don't take a, an honest look at their skills and their their ability to be measured to determine whether they can do the job, do what it takes or not. That's a big misconception, especially of those who think they are fluent in two languages, that they're truly bilingual. So that's that's the biggest misconception, and that sets them up for failure. And then they don't know what hit them. You know, it's like you're walking around and something hits you, and, and you don't know why why you fail an exam or your, your self-esteem suffers a blow, but why, why, why? And it's because, unfortunately, some of those aspiring interpreters get fooled by other people who cheer them on to pursue the career in interpreting just because they spent a weekend, or I'm sorry, a month or two in another country speaking that country's language. They come back with a few good words and they impress some friends and family. And they're fooled into thinking, well, hey, maybe I can do, be a translator when they actually meet an interpreter. Big problem already. Right. So that is a problem. They they don't really took a they don't take an academic look at what they have to offer. 
maybe right. they're not even ready. Right, and maybe sometimes even if their language skills are really up to par, still the idea that you can be an interpreter just by virtue of being highly bilingual, fluent in two languages, whatever they want to say, it seems to me that there's also a failure to, to observe or to take into consideration that interpreting is also a skill that needs to be learned just like any other skill. Definitely, Agustin. It's not only about learning a skill, but to learn to use it and learn to appreciate the fact that it's a skill. It's not something you pick up from a book. You need to practice it every day, several times, until it gets to be second nature. It's like a muscle memory, if you will. Furthermore, I also, at my office, I get calls from people who want to be interpreters and they want to offer their services and whatnot. And they, they claim that with their curriculum, they are cut out for the job. And what I mean by that is not the skills, but the knowledge. Mm -hmm. So they say, oh, yes, I was a lawyer in my home country and I deal with legal terms or I study criminology. So I know the legal jargon. I work with the police or anything related to the legal field, they, in their mind, thinks, uh, they think that's enough of a credential to easily do the job of an interpreter, and that's not so. And then you also have the other part, uh, the other group of people who are academics. I'm a linguist, I teach languages, et cetera, et cetera, and they think they're cut out to be interpreters. Well, not quite. As you know, it's a combination of skills and knowledge. There's also the factor of abilities, you know, endurance and, and all that. But it's knowledge and skills that are key for this type of profession. Yes, I, I think that um, when I started this business, just like everybody else, I thought, well, how difficult can it be? I've been interpreting for my mom for a long time, right? Hmm. Yeah, but I think that once you get in, in the arena, and you face the reality, you find out maybe I was a lawyer in my country, but then again, my country's legal system is completely different from this one. So what I thought I knew about the law probably doesn't apply to what I'm uh, facing right now. So let's assume that you hear, you know, and I'm, I'm sure this probably happens to you every now and then, or maybe quite often that people tell you, hey, you know, my cousin or my brother or my sister or my son or somebody I know wants to be an interpreter. What advice would you give them? I would advise them to, to read about it, to follow the several links that I sent to them by email <laughs> so they can, they can get to read about it, to watch videos of other interpreters, to test their skills against something, uh, start, with a, start with a baseline, uh, test themselves. I give them some hints as to how to measure their ability to interpret something accurately, have somebody else review it. So I give them pointers, don't get me wrong. And I recommend that they sign up for uh, skill building classes or courses and that they take a look at it and give it a try. You know, that if they feel they are confident, go ahead, test your confidence, see how far you can get. Maybe it is for you, but maybe you can discover that it's not for you. So why not try it? Right, and, and I really don't want this to think, to sound like we're telling people not to become interpreters. I think it's the, quite the opposite. At least for me, I would like a lot of people to join the fold because we definitely need interpreters, uh, especially well-trained, certified, competent interpreters are certainly in high demand everywhere. I uh, know for a fact that uh, the reason many companies 
that do interpretation over their phone or video uh, have a lot of success is because obviously the need is there. Right. And right. so I, clearly we want people to, to attend, but I, I'm, I like what you're saying. You're saying, well, before you just assume that you can do it, do a little bit of practice, get into it. Do you think it's possible or it's recommended for people that have never done this or are thinking about this to maybe go and attend a couple of court proceedings or things like that? By all means, it's good to go in to observe a proceeding knowing what you're looking for, not just going to a courthouse and see what happens. No, I think the, the study should be a little more focused, especially if, if you can give the advice to somebody who calls you and asks you, you know, where do I start? How can I get a feel for what court interpreting is? I, at my job, I invite people who call me to observe other interpreters and to, you know, listen to them and, and see if that's the type of atmosphere that they like, the type of environment they would like to go to. Some people are turned off by the type of environment because the courthouse is generally not a happy place to be in. People mm -hmm. bring the problems, have the problems. So emotionally, it may not be what they feel comfortable with. Then if even if they feel comfortable with it, then comes the linguistic and interpreting aspect of it. You can ask them challenge. Like, can you interpret simultaneously under your breath, at least so the judge doesn't hear you in the back of the room? Can you interpret as fluently and, and fluidly, if you will, as those people who are speaking or can you interpret as well as that interpreter over there can interpret. So they get a feel for it. Of course, you're not gonna tell them you're gonna be as good as that certified interpreter up there because they don't have the training. So you encourage them, you know, see how you feel about it, observe, learn, take notes, and uh, little by little start practicing. And you, you mentioned certified interpreters. What would, you, what would be your advice for somebody who is already working as an interpreter? And I have the feeling that some of us think that getting certified is the, the goal. And I'm not sure that you agree with that. Uh, I certainly think that uh, being certified is an objective, and I don't necessarily think that is a goal. What do you think about that? What would you tell people that are already in the field, already working? I agree. Becoming certified is not the goal. It's not the end to itself. It's an objective to reaching your highest possible level in the field. And that is achieved, I believe, after you feel really confident, you know that you don't make mistakes, or at least you make very few mistakes. You are respected by your peers, the judiciary, the judges, attorneys, they, you, you get the kudos all the time. Hey, very good, very good. Especially of the, from those who, who know your language. Say, hey, you're a great interpreter, et cetera. That's, that's the biggest reward you can get. Getting certified is basically getting the, uh, the card to get in the door because mm -hmm. a courthouse system may have that requirement. Others don't, but if they do, if you get that certification, you're in. So you can use that as a vehicle for employment opportunities yeah it's not, keep, it's not the goal yeah i keep on telling interpreters you know uh, maybe you should consider uh, the day you get your certification con consider that your commencement right right and it's like a diploma that's right and your commencement which means the beginning now you're starting now you're getting in there but uh, you told me that you love doing this you know 
we talked about it's difficult. We talked about emotionally draining. We talked about the fact that not always a happy. So how come you like it? I like it because I feel useful. I feel I am helpful to other people that need my services. I I like it. I, I like um, I like the challenge. Mm-hmm. I like at at my level at my experience, what I try as a challenge is to reword, reformulate the the target language. It means the language I'm interpreting into, in such a way that I will be more efficient with the number of words I use. I am an interpreter that goes from English into Spanish doing the simultaneous interpreting. And many people that are listening to us will agree that you tend to use more words in Spanish than in English because the language itself is not as rich technically, if you will, as English. So my personal challenge is always to be as efficient and as economical as possible. So that's my, my current challenge, if you will. That's right. So we're always, uh, there's, there's, I, I consider that myself. Yeah, I've had tough situations. I've, I've seen uh, sad things in court. But I think what really keeps me going as an interpreter and certainly as a trainer is the fact that, on the other hand, the linguistic challenge, the constant gymnastics of your brain going from English and Spanish or English into Chinese, it doesn't matter what language, uh, is what keeps me going in this, in this business. I certainly find it very interesting some of the uh, 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 situations that I've had are actually not all that serious and I've had uh, been part of some actually comical situations in court mm-hmm. if even if people might not believe that there are times when uh, things end up being funny for one reason or another uh, do you remember a, a situation where something became funny or or, or uh, made people laugh because of what happened with interpretation? The, a few times that I've had funny situations happen with me interpreting, you know, very, very lame ones, if you will, where suddenly the witness gave the answer in English rather than Spanish, and I interpreted mm-hmm. that into, into English rather than the other language, and I was kind of like befuddled and confused, and everybody kind of uh, chuckled a little bit. Um, also, that the tricky ones, well, a little bit away from the comical, is when when inmates uh, have insulted the judge with a very nasty insult in their in their language, like in Spanish, which I interpret. Mm-hmm. And it was funny for me at one moment, as I was getting ready to give my rendition into English, that I would look at. Americans with their jaws dropped, eyes wide open, like, oh my gosh, that interpreter just said that bad word? Oh my God. So yeah. that was kind of like a little chuckle f- for me, at least. Yeah, no, I know. I, I remember, uh, you, you know, our friend Patricia McKelson, I'm hoping to have her uh, oh, yes. here on the podcast one of these days, but she always tells a story about um, a guy who was uh, interpreting it. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, given testimony in Spanish, and he said that his attendant physician, you know, who saw him when he got to to the emergency room, and he said, Dr. Sanduri. Hmm. And, you know, the interpreter said, Dr. Sanduri, and for a while, back and forth, everybody was talking about Dr. Sanduri, and the, nobody could find out who Dr. Sanduri one was, 
they couldn't find a doctor during the roster in the hospital or any place else until somebody listened a little bit closer and what the guy was trying to say was instead of uh, testifying completely in Spanish, he tried to say something in English. Can you guess what he was trying to say? No, not really. He said the doctor's on duty. Oh, my gosh. So the doctor on duty became (laughs) Dr. Sanduri. And that was a, 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 a time of levity in that court, even though obviously the situation was not necessarily a funny one, but everybody had an opportunity to crack up because they had been looking for Dr. Sanduri for a long time and nobody knew what to do with that. Well, I have a few of those. I can think of two. One of them I was doing, I was listening to... Uh, an, an undercover recording of two people trying to prepare a transaction exchanging drugs at a particular place. Mm-hmm. And the guy was speaking, the two guys were speaking Spanish. And because of the accent, one of them said the name of the establishment. And I could not understand it. I had to get a colleague to help me. And he said, No, vamos en el jura, en el jura. En el jura. And I was like, What is a jura, jura, jura? So one of my colleagues said she understood the guy's accent because they were from the same home country. He mm-hmm. said, James, that's Hooters. H-O-O-T. <laughs> okay. There you go. Oh, there you go. And, so- and then you have another one where this guy also said, yeah, that I was, and he said it in Spanish, you know, they sent me to the Canilleo. Yeah, uh, yes, what's kind of yeah? You know that means county jail. Yeah, yeah, so so it's it can throw you off. You know when they try to use English and they don't pronounce it well, those words can throw you off. So it's a fun challenge. Yeah, it sure is, and and we and I think that it's true what you said. We never stop. We never stop learning. We still have uh, um, all this now. From the point of view of, of the people you work with, because you work with. Judges, we judge with attorneys, with what we call the end users, and obviously many of them are not bilingual people at all. Many of them happen to be monolinguals. What do you think is their more difficult, the most difficult thing for them to understand what we do? It's that we're able to interpret simultaneously, that we are able to process two languages so quickly. That's what they admire the most. Mm-hmm. What do you think is difficult for them to understand as to what we do? Because do you get the feeling sometimes that many monolinguals think that what we do could be done by pretty much anybody? Well, you know, you have that uh, anecdote that it circulates once in a while that during a conference, uh, at the end of the conference, getting ready for the next day, the one of the organizers said to the group of interpreters, well, you know, that's good. You know, we won't need you tomorrow. We just got the boxes. They'll, they'll be enough to interpret for us. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a misconception right, right there. And well, but going to a more serious note, when you go to the courthouse and you're involved with the, the court system and the, and the court participants, I, I sense that they appreciate what we do for them. Uh, they appreciate the significance of our work that without us, they're not able from the standpoint of judges to impart justice from the standpoint of court administrators that we're not without us where they these people don't have language access to justice we're not about giving them ju- access to justice like an attorney or a judge we're about the linguistic access to justice and uh, several i would say a lot of court systems around the country now have realized that our job is important it's not Yes, it's not uh, like an expensive necessity because a few of them do, 
that we have uh, people who are bilingual. You know, a, a few people still don't understand in administration, they don't understand that our, our skills are specialized, very mm -hmm. like a niche field, if you will. It's not easy to interpret and process ideas in two languages as quickly. So I think that those who really understand it, appreciate it. That's right. And I think, I think that, I don't know if you agree with me, but we have uh, made major strides in that direction because I happen to believe that when you and I started this business, the idea was, oh, well, you know, anybody that is bilingual can do this job with no problem. What is, what is the big deal? And I, I will never forget one of the judges a long time ago, uh, we were going to start a trial and we didn't have interpreters that day because they had not been requested on time. And I said, well, I'm sorry, Judge, there's no certified interpreters uh, available today. Uh, they're all on either in a conference or we already have a couple of trials going on. And he said, well, just go out there and certify more interpreters. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I thought it was funny. Like it was just like I had some kind of magic wand that would go out there and just now you're certified. You're certified. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to be like Oprah. You're yeah. certified. You're certified. Yeah, you're certified. You, you win the certificate. That's, that's right. Uh, where do you think we're going? Do you think that where are we heading with this profession? Do you think we are uh, getting where we want to be? What would you like to see happen in the future of interpretation? I would like to see a, a level playing field for, for those interpreters whose language pair is not in much, as much demand as in Spanish or for some places sign language, for example. Mm -hmm. I would like the, the playing field to be leveled for those interpreters to have the ability to have more resources for training and learning as well as certification. The judges I work with have that, that idea of, I have to have a certified interpreter in my courtroom. Meaning if you're not, if the, I don't have a certified interpreter, then nothing else counts. So I would, I would love to see the field filled with uh, interpreters that are certified for all languages. And it's going to be a challenge because primarily money is involved. It is expensive mm -hmm. to produce exams. That's one thing that I, I would like to see in, in the future. What direction interpreting is moving to? Technology is going to be an important factor. I myself, I'm studying possibilities where technology could be aligned with a service that will cost less. However, the level of qualification of interpreters that we hire can remain the same, can still mm -hmm. be as good. It's just that technology will facilitate access to justice. Right. Court administrators in my area, in my district, as well as other states I know are trying to, to see how they can find technological ways of bringing people to court in a, in a more efficient and money-saving way. Resources, resources are limited, Agustin. So they have to make use of whatever resources they can with the funds that they have. As long as they keep in mind that they must not sacrifice quality. That's right. And I think that that's, that's the biggest challenge, right? To keep quality, but to go with, with technology. And uh, I'm sure, but I want us to reiterate that we're not talking about technology of robots doing our, our job, right? We're not there yet. No, definitely not. I'm just talking about the tools for sound to travel, you know, in in space, if you will, That's in right. the internet. 
That's right. And, and I, I, I get it, but I want to uh, talk about funny anecdotes. My ex-father-in-law uh, told me, and this was about 20 years ago, that I better still start looking for another profession because machines would be doing my job in a matter of two or three years. Hmm. Luckily, it hasn't happened in 20, and I don't see it happening very soon. But we can use that. And, and I, I, I'm going to quote somebody, and I don't, I, I don't remember the name of the gentleman who said this, but I like what he said. He said, technology is not going to replace interpreters, but some interpreters are going to be replaced by other interpreters who use technology. And I think that really is what it is. I've heard that one before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is, because, you know, it's part of the professional development of an interpreter. Sure. And you see that in in the codes of ethics of uh, court interpreters around the country. Mm -hmm. Professional development calls not only for taking more interpreting skills training courses, but also of leveraging technology so mm -hmm. that your job can be more professional, more accessible, and more marketable too. Right, and I want to bring it back uh, full circle because obviously technology got you interested in the business because you saw this uh, booths and we're able to we're able to hear all these interpreters in different languages speaking at the same time. So obviously, we have been using technology for a while uh, in, yeah. in business. All right. Well, James, you know I know that you have a lot of things to do. You're a busy man. We really appreciate your time after a full day of work to joining us for a little bit. I really appreciate uh, uh, your time and effort. And if you have any closing words, uh, we're gonna uh, uh, say goodbye to our audience. Well, thank you, Agustin. It was a pleasure being with you. And uh, also to just emphasize that those who are listening to this podcast who are interpreters must not let their guard down to find ways to challenge yourselves, seek ways to develop yourself professionally, try to move through your associations uh, and uh, committees, etc., to get more more tools available for you. Certification is one thing that I'm thinking about. And if you're new to interpreting and just starting, find, find a good training program, a good workshop, every type of opportunity you can to, to measure yourself against yourself, not just comparing right. your interpreting to other interpreters, but try to improve yourself. Okay, so you can be really a true professional. Right. That's all basically. And I, I really want to thank you for that. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I would be remiss if not, I don't mention one and once and again. Uh, we as interpreters have a responsibility to strengthen our professional associations. Mm -hmm. So here uh, goes out to all of us out there. Join your associations, the National Ju Association of Judicial Interpreters and Translators, NAGIT, ATA, the Interpreters Division, uh, IMIA, the Medical Interpreters Association, CHIA, and any other interpretation uh, association, local or international, because that will give us, us uh, all strengths, and strength is in numbers, and we want all to be able to provide better service to the community. So again, thank you very much, James, and we My hope pleasure. to see you soon. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, Augustine. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.